an offhand comment by a theology professor caught my attention and has stayed with me ever since. He said, well, you know, of course, that the work of the Spirit is wider than the church. That is a beautiful way to think about the Spirit. On Pentecost, we celebrate the work that the Spirit does in and through us. We call Pentecost the birthday of the church because, according to the story, the promise that Jesus made to the disciples came true on that day. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples and they started proclaiming the good news, the gospel. But the Spirit was present from the beginning of creation, according to the biblical story. And it's right to think about the Spirit that way, always and everywhere active, because the Spirit is the Spirit of God who is always and everywhere present. The work of the Spirit is much wider than the church. Now we worship in the Christian tradition, but we also recognize that the Spirit is active in all religions as people seek God in different ways. When Jesus met the woman at the well in Samaria, she wanted to have a theological discussion with him about who had the right temple, the Jews or the Samaritans, and therefore the right worship. And Jesus' answer was interesting. On the one hand, he told her that Jews had the right temple, but maybe that didn't matter because he said, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. When Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, brought, Jesus, brought God's healing to people, whether they were Romans or Syrophoenicians, he did not ask them to convert as a condition for receiving God's care. The work of the Spirit is much wider than the church. Well, what do we call the Spirit? In John's Gospel, Jesus calls the Spirit the Advocate. Older translations use the words Counselor or Comforter. The Spirit's role is to be helpful to us. In John's Gospel, Jesus calls the Spirit the Spirit of Truth, who leads us to discover the truth. Paul calls the Spirit the Spirit of Christ. This is the Spirit of the risen Christ that appears to Paul in a vision when he's on the road to Damascus. Now, Luke wanted his community of Christians to understand how the Spirit was supposed to help them. So, he told a story that I take as a parable to teach them what to believe. So, let's look at this story together. It starts with the community of Jesus' followers gathered together. That is significant. They're not isolated individuals, but a community. Eventually, Paul will call this community the body of Christ bound together by the Spirit of Christ. Then, in the story, they hear loud sounds and see flames of fire. These are symbols of the powerful presence of God, just like the sounds and fire on Mount Sinai that made all the people afraid as Moses went up to meet God, according to the Exodus story. Then, in the story in Acts, all of them were suddenly given the ability to speak in other languages. The good news that Jesus taught of the kingdom of God and of the news that God was good and compassionate and forgiving, it was never meant to be good news for one nation alone. 
It was good news for everyone. So of course they needed to be able to speak to everyone in their own languages to proclaim the good news effectively. But then in the way that like in dreams, the storyline changes without logic or explanation. Suddenly a crowd of people appears without the need of explaining how something happening indoors could draw a large crowd. Nevertheless, it does. This story is driving home the point that the Spirit's effect is to break down walls that divide people. The story belabors the point by naming the long list of nationalities present to hear the message. The focus of attention stays on the international group by reporting their conversations about whether or not the disciples are drunk. And that gives Peter the chance to explain that it was God's will all along that the Spirit would be available to all flesh, as the prophet Joel had said, men and women, young and old, even slaves as well as citizens could receive the Spirit. Peter says that this is the prediction of Joel coming true, which is interesting because Joel said that the Spirit would come accompanied by cosmological signs, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood. And although Peter had said that this was all being fulfilled, no one in the story looked up and waited for that to happen. Of course not. It's symbolic language. This thing that is happening is earth-shaking. It changes everything. Or at least it ought to change everything. It ought to be the case that people who have the Spirit of God know that the old divisions of race and ethnicity no longer matter. It ought to be the case that the way people identify themselves in groups that are then hostile to other groups is a thing of the past. It ought to be that all the bloodshed and all the wars between nations can come to an end. It ought to be the case that phrases like Christian nationalism were simply oxymoronic and unimaginable. But this is a hard lesson to learn. Paul told his young Christian communities that in Christ there was no longer Jew or Greek slave or free, male and female. But shortly after Paul was executed, people wrote letters in his name telling masters to be good masters and slaves to be good slaves and women to be silent and obedient. The Spirit can be resisted. The Spirit can be ignored. The Spirit of God does not force or control people. And so divisions and nationalisms remain even among Christians. But the Spirit never tires of luring us to goodness. The Spirit never gives up on us. The Advocate, the Comforter, the Counselor is present in every moment, coaxing us to the next right thing, presenting us with opportunities to look past our own ego boundaries to see everyone as a child of God. Now to help us with our human weaknesses, we have been given a marvelous practice that concretely illustrates what we believe. Jesus told us that we are to take one loaf of bread, symbolizing our one united community, and break it so that each one can receive it. 
And we're to take one cup and offer it to each one so that we can share a common cup symbolizing our unity. And these gifts of bread and cup taken together help us to see and feel and even taste the truth that we are one body. In his instructions to the church in Corinth, Paul assumes that their gatherings will include the Lord's Supper. He says, when you come together as the church, and then he tells them how to share the Lord's Supper properly, meaning without distinctions between rich and poor. The point is, he assumed they would celebrate the Lord's Supper whenever they came together, and at that sacred meal, it was crucial that the former walls of separation be dismantled because the Spirit is the Spirit of unity. And the fruit of the Spirit, he said, included love, joy, and peace. So it is a great sadness that our churches are divided racially. We would love to be a multicultural congregation that would show the world that the Spirit was truly present. And maybe that day will come for us. In the meantime, we will do all that we can do to fulfill the mission of the Spirit, to bridge chasms of separation. We will join in the quest to be anti-racist in our personal lives, in our community, and in our nation. This is our joy as we celebrate the beautiful ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that's all I've got to say about that.